You've been reading along, heard today on, uh, uh, or this week on the radio or any of the press that it got, but uh, the, the sad story of a, a 911 call that came from the assisted living center. It wasn't a medical facility, it was assisted living center, and there was an elderly individual that uh, needed breathing treatments and CPR, and uh, you, you, I heard uh, on the news the playback of the 911 Uh, officer on the phone that was talking to the lady and begging uh, the lady there. The lady called 911 trying to get first responders to come and resuscitate. Um, And the lady on the phone was trying to ask this lady uh, to give CPR to keep the woman alive until the first responders got there. And she couldn't or she wouldn't. And her boss was there because of liability and company policy. The boss and no one else standing around was willing to help and the nurse was unable or the woman on the phone was unable to help because of company policy and and I thought about that and I could hear this uh, 911 operator begging and pleading is there anybody else nearby that would help this woman and uh, the lady eventually was taken to the hospital and she died at the scene and there's been a lot of talk about whether the woman did the right thing or not and all kinds of whether the human life is being devalued and because of the liability issues and that whole conversation took on a political thought. But I was thinking about the concept of courage today as we enter in to the study on the book of Joshua. And, and uh, you know, we often hear stories of people that risk their lives to pull somebody out of a, a river or a fire. And, and those kind of things often end up on the paper, the front page of the paper, or they end up being stories. And the story that I just told you may be the opposite of that. But we see these pictures of courage that show up all of the time. And I want to address a different type of courage It's not a courage that we need to express because we're in physical danger of any sort. It's probably not the courage that's going to make it on the front page of the paper. It's It's what I call an everyday courage where we are men and women of courage that we live out every day in obedience to God because it takes courage to do certain things in life. It'll take courage for somebody at the end of this service who hears a message like they're going to hear today and make a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life and to step out from where they are and to walk down front and pray with one of our team on this prayer team, it takes courage to make that decision. Or the week right after Easter, we're going to have a water baptism event. And for somebody to go public with their faith, whether they've never had faith in God and they they, they make a decision and they go public with it or they've been secretive in their faith and this is the day they go public with their faith in water baptism, those kinds of decisions take courage. It's courage when a young man or a young woman sits in a service like this and the Spirit of God begins to convict their heart about a relationship in their life that is standing in the way uh, of them and God. And God begins to deal with them about that relationship and they lay that relationship on the side or the back burner or they push pause in obedience to God. That's courage. It takes courage when a man hears a message like this today and decides to go home on a Sunday night when there hasn't been any prayer in their home for a long time. There hasn't been any prayer in their marriage for a long time. And to break the awkwardness and to break the silence and say, let's pray together as a family. It takes courage to make that decision. It takes courage for an employee that has been pressured to doctor the receipts and manipulate the accounts so the business gets ahead to look into the eye of their boss and say, this is against my principles. I refuse to do this anymore. It takes courage to sit across from a friend and make the admission, I have a problem with my temper. I have a problem with drinking. I secretly have an addiction to pornography. Honesty is hard. Honesty is difficult. 
And it takes courage to walk in that kind of vulnerability in trusting relationship. It takes courage to fight for a marriage when the person you're married to, and between the two of you, there are not those feelings of love like there used to be. And I think more than we realize it, it's this kind of courage that doesn't get put on the front pages of the paper that we need more of in our world and in our lives. If you have your Bibles, I really want to encourage you to look with me to the first chapter of the book of Joshua. And and we're in the seventh chapter of the story. And if you don't have a copy of the story, it's a book that is a chronological arrangement of the narrative of Scripture. 31 chapters. We have it available for you in the uh, resource kiosk area. You can pick it up today when you walk out. Read chapter 8 for next week. We're going to be looking through the season of Israel's history known as the Judges. And uh, you'll hear about people like Samson and Dave, uh, Barak and, and uh, Ehud. And, and uh, there's some amazing stories there. And, and, you know, I had people come to me when we started this and say, you mean we're going to spend an entire year on a book? Well, let me remind you. And I understand that apprehension. I, I was a little bit apprehensive going into this journey too, preaching through for an entire year. But what came to my understanding is this is not just a book. This is a, this, this book is a, an arrangement of scripture that gives us a meta narrative or the big picture of God's story and how we fit into that story. Because even though scripture has been completed and finished, God is still writing his salvation story, his story of grace and redemption. And he's given us a privilege and this church a privilege to continue to be a part of that story of grace and salvation. And we better understand the role we play by understanding the big picture of the story. And I believe as a church that is entering into its 92nd year of existence that we are doing well to reestablish what this church has been founded on for the previous 91 years and that has been the Word of God. And this journey that we're taking this year before we ever look to moving into a new facility is taking us back before we can go forward. It is laying the foundation of biblical allegiance before we do anything else. So here we are in chapter 7. We're one-fourth of the way through this entire journey. We're going to take a three-week break around Easter. Next Sunday is the Judges, and then we'll take Palm Sunday off, Easter off, and the Sunday after Easter is a baptism time, and we're going to have a great celebration that day, and we'll pick back up on the 14th of April, and we'll complete this journey of walking through the Word. Well, in chapter 7, you find out that Moses, that has been the leader of God's people, has died, and God needs to anoint and call a new leader that will lead God's people into the promised land, and he lays his hand on uh, Moses' young assistant, who was 40 to 50 years younger than Moses, so he represents a younger generation, and he is appointed by God, and he serves for us as a great example of what courageous faith really looks like. Here's what's interesting. By the time we begin reading this story, Joshua is now an old man. He is on the verge of leading God's people into the promised land. Forty years earlier, let's stop and rewind, Moses was about to lead the people into the promised land, but they sent spies in, 12 of them. Joshua, then young, went in as one of those 12 original spies, okay? And uh, they come back and they bring a report from the land back to Moses. And this is what they said. Numbers 13, 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. You can tell what they're building up to. They're saying, we can't take this city. 
And the cities are fortified and large. And, and, and we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak, the descendants of Anak were known as giants. They were enormous the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So not only is it full of giants, and not only does it have these big, high-walled, fortified cities, but the Amalekites and Amorites are there, Moses. And if you haven't heard, these are uncivilized, barbaric people. Have you read and heard how they treat their own people? What are they going to do to us? Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said... Joshua and Caleb were the only two younger men that were a part of those original 12 spies. And this is what they said. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Joshua and Caleb were young enough that they had more ambition and faith than they had wisdom and common sense. And they said, we can do this. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight and we looked the same to them. When we compared ourselves to these giants, we looked like grasshoppers. And by the way they were looking at us, you could tell they thought the same about us. The cities are too fortified. The people are too big. We cannot do this. And fear spread throughout all the people. The people believed the report of the ten spies that were given to Moses. But Joshua and Caleb, full of wisdom and faith, had a different report. But because the people sided with the report of fear... An entire generation died in the wilderness. Moses died and didn't go in. And the generation of Moses died and didn't go in. And now here you have Joshua. Now he is an elderly man. And they have been sentenced to this wandering in the wilderness. That sentence is about over. Joshua is about to lead these people into the promised land. And that's where we pick up in Joshua chapter number 1. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all of the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. So this is a second chance with a different leader to do what the people of God failed to do 40 years earlier. And God is about ready to give them the land that he had promised Abraham hundreds of years earlier. 
Joshua's a seasoned warrior by now. He knows this won't be easy. He's been in the land. He's one of the spies that saw the walls. He saw the giants. He knows what they're up against. But God tells them four different times in this chapter, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Now, they're not there yet. They haven't come to Jericho yet, which is the first battle in taking the promised land. But before they ever get there, God is telling them, be strong and courageous. God is preparing them ahead of time for what will happen later. And I believe if you look in the story of God's word and you examine the story of what God is doing in your life, you will find this truth. God prepares us now for what will be required later. I bet if you looked at your life objectively, you could see that. You could look back and see something you went through years ago that God used to prepare you for whatever it is you're facing today. Or maybe you look back and a devotion that you did or a sermon that you heard or a passage in the scripture that you read some months back or a week ago and something came off of the page and you didn't know really how it fit at that moment of your life. But now that you're going through whatever it is you're facing, you realize God was preparing you in advance with that word or with that scripture or with that devotion. He prepares you in advance for what you'll experience later if we will let him. And if somehow we could step back from our own life story and read it like a book from beginning to end, we would see again and again how God works in this way in our life. And if we will let him, he is preparing us. And I believe through this message today, he is preparing you. Because in the days ahead, there are going to be opportunities for you to, to, to walk away from your fear and walk in obedience. This week, there's going to be an opportunity for you to take a risk, to exhibit courage like I expressed a moment ago in the introduction. There's going to be an opportunity for you to walk in courageous faith. And he is preparing you today with this word ahead of time so you will be ready for what is required later. Before they ever get to Jericho, God says, be strong and courageous because he knows they're going to look at these walls. The walls of Jericho historically were known to be impenetrable, okay? There were actually two walls to Jericho. There was an outer wall that was six feet thick. It was wide, six feet thick. And then behind it, there was another wall that was 12 feet thick. When they walked up to these walls, they were going to realize really quick, God's told us to take this city, but we can't go through it and we can't go around it. What are we going to do? I want to pause just for a moment and I want to ask you to identify the Jericho in your life for a moment. I want to ask you to identify what insurmountable odds are you facing? Is it a relationship? Is it a a situation? Is it a challenge? Maybe it's health news that you received this week. Maybe it's a relationship that's beyond repair. Maybe it's somebody you've been reaching out to uh, with faith. Somebody you've been trying to invite to church and they seem so far from ever responding to that. It seems like it's hopeless. It's a Jericho. It's an insurmountable odd. I want to share with you today the same thing God shared with those people as they were preparing to face these insurmountable odds or this impenetrable wall, be strong and courageous is what he said. And then you get to Joshua chapter 6, and that's when they're getting ready to just march in right before the battle begins. Listen to what God says to Joshua in Joshua 6 too. And I want you to pay attention to as much how God says it as, as to what he says. Notice his grammar. Joshua 6, 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and fighting men. Now, if I'm Joshua, 
Joshua is a seasoned warrior. He's a general. He has experience in battle. He hears what God says, past tense. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Okay, God, that sounds great. But we're standing on this side of the wall. They're standing up there taunting us from the wall. We don't have any way through. Now, if we were on the inside and you were saying this, it would make sense. But before the battle ever begins, God makes a promise to Joshua and says, past tense, I have given Jericho into your hands. I want to I make this statement to you. Courageous faith is speaking what hasn't happened as if it already has. When you are speaking the promise of God in faith. Now, it's not courageous faith for you to get up and speak something you want that God hasn't promised. That's going to end badly for you. If you want to jump off of a building and fly and you jump off and start flapping your arms, that's not going to end well for you. But 14 times in this story, God has promised them, I will give you the land, I will give you the land. And now he tells Joshua, before the battle begins, I have already delivered these people into your hands. Courageous faith is speaking what hasn't happened as if it already has. So when God speaks of promises that have not happened as if they already have, it takes courage to walk as if they are going to happen. It takes faith to walk as if they are going to happen. It's what God does in this instance. He's already delivered the city into the people's hands before there's ever a battle, before there's ever been a fight. And so I would imagine this conversation with Joshua gives him a little more courage and a little more strength. And then God gives Joshua the battle plan. Okay. Joshua 6, 3, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. Now, imagine this part of the conversation. Here's an experienced veteran of war, a general. He knows God has given him the command to take the city. So I would imagine he's already laid out a certain strategy, even though the odds are stacked against his strategy. He's probably tried to lay out a more conventional way to take the city of Jericho. And God starts telling him, I want you to get your marching band together, put the trumpet players in front, and let's march around the city. Now, this is not a conventional method of war to a seasoned general of battle to get the marching band out front and have them to go marching around the city. So Joshua would probably, in his conversation with God, say, God, do we, uh, if this is going to work, you must have somebody on the inside that is going to make this really happen. And I can hear God say, yep, I do. I have somebody on the inside. Joshua, her name is Rahab, and she is a prostitute. Great. So forget all the military strategies that I know as a commander, we're going to go up against the most impenetrable city and the insurmountable odds we will ever face, the very first battle that we're going to face, and our, our weapons of warfare are a prostitute, a marching band, and a long walk. It doesn't elicit courage and faith. Maybe Joshua thought, okay, What have we got to lose? Let's see what God does. 
And what God does in this instance is what he does throughout the whole story. God always issues a divine setup. He stacks the odds against himself. He always does. When you look at the people he has chosen in our journey through the story to use, he always picks the, picks the least likely to succeed, the weakest vessel to demonstrate his glory. He took, when he wanted to establish a nation, he overlooked every other best candidate, and he picked an elderly infertile couple in Abraham and Sarah. He took a prisoner and elevated him to the second in command to save that nation generations later. And you follow through the story. It's the theme of the Bible. It's the theme of your own life that God exposes his glory in your weakness he turns your failures around to be trophies of his grace it's an amazing pattern that God establishes and here in the same way he stacks the odds against himself because while history will show that Joshua was the commander that is credited for leading the army into victory all of the world knows when they hear this story and they believe in the historicity and the authenticity of this that Joshua is not the architect of the victory the battle belonged to the Lord I can't help but wonder what Joshua thought and I can't help but wonder if as they marched around the city I don't believe every step was a courageous step I think they were walking sometimes second guessing and sometimes afraid and things are being thrown at them from the walls taunts are coming down from the military camped around on the walls of these big this fortified city this is what I want you to understand courage is not the absence of fear it's moving forward in spite of fear sometimes we think the most courageous person is the one who isn't afraid but courage is not not being afraid Courage means that you move forward when you are afraid. That's courage. Psychologists tell us that the natural human response to fear is avoidance. The natural human response to fear is not courage. It's not natural. The natural human response to fear is avoidance. So if if there's a situation in your life that would elicit fear, we avoid those situations naturally. If there is an office party at work and uh, you don't have a lot of strong relationships or at school and you are afraid that if you show up at the party, you're going to be alone, our natural tendency is just don't go to the party. If we're struggling financially and the bill comes in the mail that we've been afraid of opening, we don't open it with excitement the first thing when it comes in the mail. Most often we'll place that bill to the back of the desk or at the bottom of the stack trying to put off as long as we can whatever we're afraid of because we respond to what we're afraid of with avoidance. If there's someone in our life, in our family, or at work that we are at odds with in a relationship and there are conversations that we don't want to have, conflict that needs to happen in a healthy way, that fear of what might go wrong causes us to walk the long way around to the restroom or to avoid that relationship altogether. Because our natural response to fear is avoidance. But courage is doing what we're afraid to do and moving forward anyway. So in this story, you see courage is doing what God has called you to do even though you're afraid. Even though you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. Even though you're scared. Even though you're tired. Even though you're alone. Even though you've had a lot of chances and you've failed every other time and it didn't work out. But you keep moving forward anyway because in your heart you have a promise from God. 
In this story from Joshua, you have a man who was one day really young in his early 30s and or, or his late 30s or early 40s and numbers 13. And he said, when they first went in, we can do this. We can take this. But an older generation full of more wisdom and logic said, it's impossible. It was impossible. But because they sided with what was humanly possible, instead of the youthful faith of Joshua and Caleb, a whole generation was set to rot in the wilderness. And let me tell you this. I don't blame those older folks. And I don't blame older folks. The older I get, the more I understand. The older you get and the the longer you live, the the more chance and challenge there is to play it safe. The things that got you to where you are, the risk that you take, you're less likely to take those risks. You become risk averse the older you beget. Uh, you, 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 you learn more. You're, you're full of more wisdom. You've seen more things happen. But there comes a point in our life that we have to be like Joshua. Now Joshua fast forwards. He's now the older generation. And he remembers the mistake of the previous generation. And he chooses to act in the courageous faith of his youth. Even though it doesn't make any more sense today than it did a generation ago. He chooses to act in faith. You know what I'm grateful for? I'm grateful that North Place Church is where it's at today because there's been generation after generation of senior adults that have been a part of this church that have been more like Joshua and Caleb than the other 10 spies. It has gotten us to where we are today. And if we're going to move forward into what God calls us to do, we cannot get away from the entrepreneurial, courageous faith, the willingness to take risk and sometimes do the things that don't line up with logic and reason simply to be obedient to God in courageous faith. So the question is, What is different now on this second attempt to enter the promised land than the first attempt? There's not a whole lot different. I mean, you got the same group of people, the next generation, a different leader. But they're still giants. They're still fortified cities. All of the impossibilities are still there. Jericho is as fortified. The Amalekites are as mean as they've ever been. So what is the difference? And this is what I believe is the difference. They went from focusing on their smallness to focusing on God's bigness. I don't know of anything that has the potential to be more life-changing for us than this. When you take your eyes off of your smallness and put them on God's bigness, you can confront the walls in your life, not by looking at how small you are, but by looking at how big God is. The question is not how big am I compared to Jericho. The question is how big is God compared to Jericho? And this generation of Israelites decided not to look at their smallness. They decided not to look at how the deck was stacked against them. They decided to look at how the deck was stacked against God. And there's no deck really ever stacked against God because of his size, his majesty, and his splendor. When they looked at who God was in light of Jericho, it filled them with courage and strength. Not because the circumstance had changed. Not because the giants had shrunk. Not because the walls had gone away. They changed their focus and understanding of who God is. And I believe our stories would look dramatically different if we could just simply focus on the bigness of God instead of the insurmountable walls that stand in front of us. 
God wants your life story to be a testimony of His majesty, to be a testimony of His size, to be a testimony of His splendor. Your story will tell that God is bigger than your problems, that God is bigger than your doubts, that God is bigger than your fear, that God is bigger than your sin and addiction or your guilt and your shame. He is bigger than any impenetrable wall that stands in front of you. And if we will take our eyes off of who we are in that moment and put our eyes on who God is, our perspective shifts from fear and doubt to strength and courage. Remember last year when we went through the incomparable series, we spent four weeks talking on the size, the splendor, and the majesty of God. And we did that intentionally the four weeks prior to preaching a series on prayer called The Circle Maker. And we made this statement, and I want to make this statement to you again. The size of your God will determine the size of your prayers. The size of your God will determine the size of your prayers. If you have a narrow, limited view of God, you're going to pray narrow, limited prayers. But if you can see God for who He is and you focus on His bigness, it reflects its way into your prayer life. You remember in the Incomparable series, we looked into Isaiah chapter 40, and uh, we, we saw in poetic language how Isaiah compared life around us to how big God was. He said in Isaiah forty twelve, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Now, I took some water in my hand yesterday to figure out how much, and I guess I probably had a, a tablespoon at best of water in the, in the hollow of my hand. And yet God says, I have measured the waters in the hollow of my hand. Do you know two-thirds of the earth's surface is covered in water? And in some places, the oceans are six miles deep. And God said, I have held the entire expanse of the earth's water in the hollow of my hand or you read on in Isaiah 40 and and he talks about who has with who has the the breadth uh, with the breadth of his hand measured off the heavens if you measure the breadth of my hand from my pinky to the tip of my thumb it's about nine inches Uh, God says I have measured the entire heavens with the breadth of my hand if you go to the star nearest to us beyond the sun It's about four and a half light years away. That's 26 trillion miles. And God says, here, let me measure that for you with my hands. When we get an understanding of how big he is, and it gets its way into our prayer life, it helps us walk in courageous faith. It helps us be strong and full of courage, even when we stand against the penetrable, insurmountable walls of Jericho in our life. I mean, what would happen in your life if you took your eyes off of your smallness and you put them on God's bigness, if you took your eyes off of the wall that was in front of you and you remembered just in this moment how great and strong that God really is. Be strong and courageous. I don't know anybody that walks around and says, you know what, I want to live every day um, full of anxiety and fear. That's the way I want to live my life. I just, I, I don't want to be bold. I don't want to be courageous. I just would like every day. Nobody says that. We want to live courageous lives. But how do you do that? When you're standing looking Jericho eye to eye and those two walls and the armies are taunting you, how do you do that? Do you just set eye of the tiger on repeat on the iPod and turn it up real loud and pump yourself up? Is that how you do it? No. The source of courage and faith is nothing you're going to tap into within your own strength. I believe the source of courage and faith 
the greatest spiritual discipline to elicit that is prayer. Because when you pray about the wall and you get your mind off of the wall and off of you and you let your prayer life take you to the majesty of God, all of a sudden your, your perspective shifts, your faith increases, your courage begins to rise. Let me give you this statement to help you remember this principle. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's doing it anyway. And courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is not something we drum up in ourselves. It's not something we find within us. It is found in God and we tap into that faith and courage through prayer. Some of you that follow on Facebook have noticed yesterday morning when I was finishing up the message, I asked people on Facebook to help me uh, and I, I asked them, give me a five word sentence that summarizes a lie that you have been told in your life that has stolen strength and courage from your life story. And I I just expected a few people to jot a few sentences down, and a few minutes later, over 100 people had responded in a few minutes, and now today over 200 people have responded, and the the thing keeps growing in less than 24 hours. And and I'm amazed at how it was a a statement, something that forced people to look somewhere in their heart that elicited a lot of emotion because if you look on my, I have two pages actually, and if you look on those two pages, you will see people that will make the statement and often they couldn't just make the statement. They wound up telling the story behind the statement so much so that I had some people email me about the five word sentence that robbed their life of courage and strength. Here are some of them right off of their responses. It's too late for you. You messed up too much. No one will want you. It's never going to happen. You will just fail again. You're never going to change. There's plenty time left. You will always be alone. You failed as a mom. You're just like your dad. God doesn't love you anymore. It'll be like this forever. You've wasted too much time. You're on your own. God's done giving you chances. As I walked through some of these people I knew and I could see these five word sentences. And in my mind there was a video of a story unfolding behind them. Like one lady who'd gone through a bitter divorce. Her five word statement was she heard in that divorce. You'll never find anyone else or a lady emailed me after she saw my post and told me the whole story about the abuse from her mother there were several statements she heard her mother say but the one that she's never been able to forget is hearing her mother say nobody will ever love you a young man posted on my wall and I could see the story playing as he his five word sentence was I don't need your help And I could see when he was a young child trying to help a male role model in his life and that role model getting frustrated with the fact he couldn't do it like them and in a moment of agitation, stifling his dreams. I don't need your help. There's a story behind every statement, every lie. Just five words came to people so quickly because it maybe it touched a scab, a wound. But I want to give you five new words today 
They're not my words. They're the words of God stated in the Old Testament and they were the words of Jesus stated again in the New Testament. They were the words God gave to Joshua, the words Jesus gave to us. Five words to replace all of those lies. Joshua 1.5, he says, I will be with you. Does it sound very profound? But I can go to Jericho with courage and fear if I know I'm going with him. I can face this relationship or that job or this financial situation or this health issue if I have that promise. And God wants you to replace all of those lies that have been told to you with these five words. I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. How? Because you have the promise of his presence. I will be with you. Jesus said it in the gospels. I will be with you till the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And in John 14, he tells his disciples, even though I'm going away, I leave my presence in the form of a comforter, a paraclete, the Holy Spirit. He will be with you. I don't have to live life full of fear and anxiety because I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I have this promise. Be strong and courageous. I've given you the city and I will be with you. God gave Joshua that city. There are times I stand out on our church's property and I look all the way down to downtown Dallas and I feel him whisper into my spirit, I'm going to give you what you see, the souls that are under your eyesight. I don't know how it's going to happen. It seems impossible, but I'm strong and courageous in that promise because he is with us. How do you reach an entire city? One person at a time. This Easter, you have an opportunity this week to be bold and courageous, extend an invitation, make a phone call, invest in somebody's life and invite them to the house of God. But this morning, I want to make it more specific. Maybe you you need to be that courageous person that commits your life to Christ today. A prodigal that decides to walk away from what's been a fun journey that hasn't ended the way you thought it was and come into relationship with Christ. Or maybe you need God to implant those five words that promise His presence to erase the five words that have held your life bondage for so long. I'm going to ask if we can stand, and I want the prayer team to make themselves available if they will today. I want you to focus on whatever Jericho is for you right now. I believe this morning the promise of the presence of God ought to bring us to a place where we can be strong and courageous. Not because it makes sense. God doesn't always make sense. God doesn't always line up with human logic and reason. But He says, I will be with you. That's a promise. Courageous faith is speaking what hasn't happened as if it will happen. So I'm going to march into sickness believing he's going to be with me. I'm going to march into marital counseling as if he's going to be with me to restore this relationship. I'm going to march into this financial crisis as if he's going to be with me. Courage is not found in you. It's found in him. Prayer is the source. And so I challenge you to bring your Jericho to the altar today. I challenge you to bring those five words that have been alive, that have held you captive to the altar today. I challenge you to be full of courage today and come into relationship with Jesus. 
I'm going to pray a blessing. And while I pray, I want you to come even while I pray and find a prayer partner this morning, will you? Father, I pray that you'll bless them and keep them. That you'll make your face shine down upon them. That you'll be gracious to them. That you'll turn your countenance their direction and give them peace. May the promise of your presence, no matter what we face, no matter what Jericho we stare eye to eye with today, may it elicit a strength and a courageous faith that doesn't come from within our own human ability, but it comes from you. You are our source today, and we choose to trust you and rest on the presence that you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open.